Good morning. Good morning, Waters Church, North Attleboro. Happy end of July. Can you believe it? July is over, and, and the year is one month closer to ending than it is to beginning. Isn't that amazing how quick the time goes? I don't know. It seems like every time I get a little bit older, it seems like the time goes faster, doesn't it? Yes. I kind of enjoy that, though. It's good to see the time move quickly, and especially move quickly to 9 a.m. on Sunday morning at Waters Church. I'm happy to be here. I hope you are, too. Good to be with you. We want to say welcome to everybody who's watching online at all of our locations as well. We want to say hello to Winsocket, hello to Apollo Beach, hello to South Coast coming soon. And then also uh, there's another couple. Oh, yes, Norwood and Guatemala and everybody here. Welcome everybody there. And everybody there, welcome us into you. We're all one church. And we've got a Connect event at all of our locations today after second service here, after the services at all the other locations. The Connect event is an opportunity for you to connect and find your place where you can serve at Waters Church. How can you get involved in church? Because it's one thing to be a spectator, but it's a great thing to be a participator. And all the serve team members said, yeah. amen. We, we want you to see God use you. Now, you might not know this, but Waters Church is pregnant. We are pregnant with another baby. Amen. No, not my wife and I, praise God, no. But our church is pregnant. We're about to give birth. We are in the third trimester of launching Waters Church South Coast. Amen. The gestation has been happening. The guy who was just up here on the stage before me in this location in North Attleboro, Mehdi Chinluli and his wife April are going to go down there and, and start that church on September 11th, officially. September 11th. By the way, in Apollo Beach, September 11th, two services. Up here in North Attleboro, September 10th, Saturday night comes back. Lots of great things, momentum building for what's coming up, but we need you. We need all of you. So if you're not participating yet at any of our locations, we want you to go to the Connect event after the last service of whatever location you're at. Now, if you're at a first service like this, well, here's my suggestion. Go out, treat yourself to a fantastic lunch at Dunkin' Donuts, and come on back after second service. Okay, so Summer of Psalms, week five. And I want to talk to you about something that we all deal with, but we don't want to talk about it that much. We're going to talk about a four-letter word. All the bad things are four letters. You ever notice that? This one is spelled E-N-V-Y. What's that spell? Envy. I want to talk to you about escaping envy. If you've got a Bible, and you should... And you should have a Bible in the church, for heaven's sakes. Open your Bibles to Psalm 73. If you don't have a Bible, envy one. If you've got a, a smartphone, you can go to the Bible on your smartphone. Go to waterschurch.guide and click on today's message for today's notes. You can fill in the blank there. Or if you're in-house at all of our locations, it looks like this. And we want you to fill in the blanks and follow along with us. Two sides today. I'm freshly back from vacation. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's good to be with you. I haven't preached for three weeks. Bad news for you. 
Because I got so much to say and you're not going to get out of here. Okay? So I'm 73. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Uh, this is a psalm that is near and dear to my heart because I have read this psalm to myself on many occasions when I have felt the sting and the pinch of the poisonous spirit of envy. Here's what it says. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, but as for me, he says, my feet almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. For I was, and if you have a Bible, what's the next word? Envious. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. How many of you hate it when the bad guy gets blessed? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I hate that. So does this guy here in Psalm 73. He says, they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Uh, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff. They speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought about how to understand all this, it seemed wearisome to me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them on a slippery slope. You make them fall to ruin. How they are doomed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens. Oh Lord, you rouse yourself to despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, somebody say nevertheless. Has anybody ever acted like an animal toward God? That's what he just said there. I was a brute beast toward you, God. Nevertheless, next line, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven besides you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us. We open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to you right now. We ask, Lord, that there will be a transformational work taking place in all of us. Help us to hear you. Help us to receive what you have to say. Most importantly, Father, as we pray, help us to see Jesus. Him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Envy. E-N-V-Y. Is anybody like me? Do you struggle a little bit with envy? 
I remember, I'm old enough to remember when Instagram was just a photo filtering app. Now it is a heart-wrenching, life-sucking, envy-producing spirit. You ever do that? Get on Instagram to find out what other people are doing, and in five minutes, you're like, my life sucks. That's what it's about. That's what it's really become. That's what social media is. And I, I don't know if you're like me, but I, 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 tr- I struggle with this sin in particular. If, if you ever have gone out to eat with me, my wife, this is what she hates most about going out to eat with me. I am never satisfied with where we sit and I am never satisfied with what I eat. And I will walk into the restaurant and the person will lead me to the wrong table. They always get it wrong the first time. I wanna be in the back corner and I wanna sit in the booth. Anybody with me, booth people? I think we should ban chairs at restaurants. Booths and booths only, booths from floor to ceiling, amen? And uh, just double stack them. We'll sit on top of the lower booth, right? Like bunk booth, that's what we'll do. We'll bunk, bunk booth it up. And, and I like to be in the corner and I like to be able to face the rest of the restaurant that that's me. And so when I see them leading me to a table, I always just tap. I say, whoa, whoa, hey, uh, can we go to that booth over there? And they're always like, well, that person just got sat. I don't care, just sit me again, that's fine. Uh, and, and so, you know, I always get struggle. I always struggle with that. I always sit in the wrong table, so I always move us. And then I do this little thing where before I eat, I get up and I take this long meandering trip to the bathroom. And I'm walking through the tables. You will see me in a restaurant doing this on occasion, just looking at people's food items and just saying, who's, who's looks the best here? That's what I do. And then I go, I go and I find a restaurant worker and I say, what's this over here? I want to eat that. And then, and then I go back over to my booth and I say, okay, I want what that person over there has. That's what I would like. And no matter what happens, my wife, she has this incredible ability to order something I would never order. And it's always better than what I ordered. And so I always end up switching food with her when she's not looking. And then I always eat whatever she didn't eat. And that's how I get my little love handles. That's my, these are Cheryl's fault right here. Okay, so that's my life. Envy can really wreck your life. And, and I've lived in, now this is also true about me. And I'm going to be real honest here because I think you guys got the wrong perception of pastors. Like pastors don't struggle with sin. They never struggle with, you know, the spirit of the age. They never get caught up in, in nonsense. That's not true. Some of the best sinners I know are pastors. Exhibit A right here. And that's why I'm in church today, because I need Jesus. Anybody with me on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we're here. We're not here because we're finished. We're here because we need work. And so, you know, I, I, I've lived in four, my wife and I and our children have lived in four houses in the last 24 months. Four houses. And I take my dogs for a walk. I tell you this all the time, but this is where a lot of my sermon illustrations come from. But I, I take my dogs for a walk every morning, and in every house I've taken walks from the house around the neighborhood. And every house we've moved to has been an upgrade from the previous house. That's God's blessing. Praise God for that. Like, like Asaph says, surely God is good. But you know, when I walk my dogs past my neighborhood houses, I start to look at what their houses look like. And I start to get a little envious. And I say, oh, goodness, look at them. They have a fifth bedroom. Oh, goodness, look at them. Look at their yard. Look at their maintenance. Look at their car. Look at, oh, look where their lot is. How did they get that lot? I want that lot. And before I know it, a 
What should be a life-giving experience, getting a walk early in the morning, becomes a soul-sucking experience. Because here's the thing, we're not immune to the spirit of envy. It's always comparing our lives to someone else. And there's always someone with an err that's going to make you err. What do you mean err? What do I mean? There's always someone with a big err house. Fast er car, high er salary, hot er wife, right? There's always gonna be someone with, not in my case, not in my case, but for some of you, okay? <laughs> Reclaim that time for a moment there. And I was just, you know, there's always someone with an er, and it makes you er. Like, why would God? And this is what envy does envy will suck the life out of you. What is envy? Write this down. Number one, two things envy is wanting someone else's life. And envy is resenting our life because of someone else's life. That's what Asaph does here in Psalm 73. And I love it. I love Asaph. This is a psalm you'll see there in your Bibles, in your paper Bibles. It says a psalm of Asaph, which means that this is not a psalm of David. David wrote a lot of them. He wrote about half the psalms. But a lot of the other psalms, some of them come from Moses. And, and several of them come from Asaph. And we'll talk about who Asaph is later the only thing you need to know about Asaph is that Asaph was a spiritual leader. He was paid to minister to God's people in the ancient temple of Israel. He had my job. He had my job. And I thank God for Asaph's honesty because Asaph is like, you know, God is good, but sometimes, sometimes I really don't understand why he blesses the people on this earth that he should not bless. That's every, every, I think we've all felt that, right? We've all been there. I don't like when God blesses the wrong people. And that's what Psalm is about. Psalm 73 is about. Written out by David by, by Asaph. And, and, and here he is, this worship leader. And he's supposed to tell everybody how good God is. And, and all he's thinking about right now in this moment is, sometimes I don't think he's all that great. Because there's people in life that keep getting away with sin and keep getting blessed. And I see them on, and it's poor Asaph, he didn't have a TV, but I have a TV. And I see them on television and I see them getting blessed and getting positions and getting prosperous. And I think, this is not fair. That's not how life should work. Is anybody with me so far? Thank God for Psalm 73. Firstly, because Asaph is honest. You know, you need some honest preachers in your life. You need honest Christians in your life. A pretentious faker is no help. In fact, some of you left the church and you came back to Water Church. You came back to our church and a lot of you say this. You know the thing I like most about you, Pastor, is that you're jacked up just like me. And I was like, yeah, amen. And I, I'm free to admit it because the human condition is a human condition and just getting saved does not wash you or absolve you of all the temptations around you. But I thank God for Asaph's honesty to tell us that there was a season in which he almost slipped. He almost lost faith. He almost gave up because he saw how good God was to people who didn't deserve it. Ah, but there's a subtle little reminder there to us, isn't there? You know, there's two kinds of grace. Two kinds of grace in the Bible. There's common grace. And then there's saving grace. Common grace is when God is good to the unrighteous. Jesus said that God is good to the unrighteous and the righteous. He's good to the ungrateful. 
and the thankful. He makes the sun to rise every morning. And the sun rose for the guy you don't like, didn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just like assign a little dark cloud over some people? Just be like, just don't shine on that guy. I don't like him. Wouldn't it be wonderful? But God makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on all people. It's called common, common grace. And it's a picture not of we deserve it. It's a picture of how good God is. See, when we see God being good to people who don't deserve it, it should be a subtle reminder that God is good to us because we don't deserve it. Hello? Anybody earn their blessings? We don't earn. We count. Amen? It's, the song's not earn your blessings, earn them one by one. The song is count your blessings, name them one by one, right? We don't earn anything. And so common grace is for everybody. That means that the, the uh, chief leader of North Korea wakes up sometimes and the sun is beautiful to him. And I hate that. But it's God's common grace. And then there's saving grace. Saving grace is the grace that God gives to your heart to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember that you are a sinner and that you are only acceptable to God by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. He's the only one who earned and deserved all of God's goodness, and he surrendered his goodness on the cross so that you could have it freely by grace through faith in him. And the great exchange of the cross gives you what Christ had so that God, after Christ took what you deserved. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible's all about. And so let me ask you this question. Can you earn saving grace? So you can't earn common grace? Because it's not about you, it's about God. When we see God blessing someone else, it's a symbol that God blesses people who don't deserve it. Do you know why God blesses people who don't deserve it? Because those are the only kind of people he can find. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you don't deserve it. There you go. Amen. You deserve something. I'm going to tell you about it. It's Sunday. I'm going to be nice. Amen. Okay? Four effects of envy. Number one, envy sucks. The, the fun out of life. <laughs> envy sucks the fun out of life. It really does. What should be a nice experience becomes an envious experience. What should be a fine walk in the morning becomes an envious walk for me. And maybe for you, uh, a brief stroll through social media suddenly becomes a soul-sucking experience. The writer Joseph Epstein, he um, works for the Wall Street Journal, and he writes a book called Envy. He wrote the book on envy. And he says, of all the seven deadly sins, envy is the least fun of all. Right? He, he says this. He says, giving into sloth and laziness is rather pleasant. Giving into the loss of temper, losing one's temper entails a certain release that's not without its small delights. Lust, greed, pride can bring quite a bit of pleasure for quite a long time, but only envy is no fun at all. Isn't that true? Number two, envy severs all kinds of relationships. It rela it, wars have been fought over envy. Fr friendships have been severed. Marriages have ended. Brothers are no longer talking to brothers because of envy. It severs relations. It, it makes you an isolated figure whereby you measure the reality of your life by everyone else around you. Everyone else is a competition now. No one is your brother. No one is your friend because everybody is out for themselves, in your opinion, and you think it's your job to one-up your neighbor. Keeping up with the Joneses is a theme of American life. 
And what it does is it separates us from our joy. We never get to know them. We just measure our life against them. It severs the relationship. There are millionaires who despise billionaires. Can you think about that? There are some people who have millions of dollars, and they despise billions of people, billions of dollars people. There are people who have 100 employees that can't stand people who have 200 employees. There are people with 500 Instagram followers who hate people with 600 Instagram followers. There are people who can't like other people. They do this on purpose. I won't like their post because they have more followers and likes than my post. Are we children? Yes, we are. We're all little kids now. That's what's happened. And depression and envy is all real. And depression and anxiety is largely tied to our social media addiction to measure our lives against other people. Number three, envy sickens us. A whole host of research is coming out now of what's really causing our depression. And I love the fact, and, and the deep end comes back on Tuesday night. The deep end is back on Tuesday night. Oh, got some deep enders. Okay, yeah. We're gonna talk about this. They just released a report. The, 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 the lie that has been foisted upon this country. Oh, I'm so excited to tell you this because it turns out that I was right all along. Your depression drugs are a joke. They're a joke. You don't have a chemical imbalance. They just found this out. We should have known this from the Bible because it's not about some chemicals that's in your body. It's about what you do with your life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We don't pop pills. We praise the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. And that is coming Tuesday night. Oh, if you're offended, just log on and get more offended. Amen. But they are finding out that a lot of our depression is rooted in envy. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that sin affects our physical life? God. God would have thought that. <laughs> God has been trying to tell us that for thousands of years. Blessed are you if you do the words of this book, the scripture says. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you're going to be blessed. The word blessed is makarios in Greek. It means happy. You're going to be happy if you do them. You're only happy if you do what God wants you to do. I need to say that again because there was no amens. You're only happy if you do what God wants you to do. The reason why some of you are so stinking depressed all the time is because you're doing what everybody else wants you to do. Or you're doing what your spirit inside wants you to do. You're doing what the flesh wants you to do. You're doing what the devil wants you to do. And they don't have your best interest in heart. In heart. You've got to follow Jesus Christ and put your eyes on him and trust that he knows what's best for you. Get out of this nonsense. Get out of this spirit of the age. Oh, I feel like I've got to unwrap the spirit of the age from me every time we gather together on Sunday morning because it's so pervasive. It's so unending. It's so nonsensical that it just sucks the life out of you. And it's time to ingest and invest the spirit of Christ in you. Remember that he is with you. He is for you. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Oh, I will go through some sadness. I will go through some times of trouble. I will go through some times of sorrow. Sorrow may last for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Every morning his mercies are new. Oh, I'm ready to preach. Envy sickens us. Psalm 73, 16, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed wearisome. I was burdened by it. Proverbs 14.30, envy makes the bones rot. 
sickness. Number four, envy suffocates our faith. There are people who won't come to church on Sunday because they work too hard all week and they need a day to themselves. But why do they do that? Why do they work endlessly? Because they are so tied up in envy. I want to prove myself to my community. I want to prove myself to the neighborhood. I want to prove myself to myself. So I work and 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 Sunday comes and instead of having a time with God, I just give a time with pastor pillow and sister sheets. <laughs> Sucks your faith right <laughs> uh, This is why Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Because the Lord knows how to clothe the grass of the field, the birds of the air. He knows how to clothe it with glory. And if he knows how to clothe grass, he knows how to clothe you. Why, what are you worried about? Don't let, don't let envy seep in here, cause you to work yourself to death. Psalm 73, 2 says this, I almost stopped believing in the New Century Version. I love Asaph's, for, I love Asaph's honesty. I almost gave up faith because I looked at proud people and how they're doing so well, and I thought this just isn't how it should be. So that's the problem. Of envy. And I know I'm talking to everyone here, you struggle with it because it's the human condition. What do we do? How do we solve this problem? Thanks, thanks for depressing me, Pastor. How do we solve it? Well, that's that's what the scripture is really there for. But what I want you to understand about the Psalms is that the Psalms are different from all the other passages of Scripture because the Psalms are Words that God has given us to say to him. See, the Psalms are different from the rest of Scripture. The rest of Scripture is God's word to us. God speaking to us. But the Psalms are our words to God. And that's what you need to do. When you don't know what to pray or say to God, open up to a Psalm. There's 150 of them. You have plenty of opportunities. And read it back to God. That's what they're there for. Do you know why they're there? So that you know how to work your issues out with him. Before you talk to the counselor, the therapist, the sister, the brother, the mother, whatever it is. Before you go on Facebook and post something that's innuendo to somebody else. Work it out with God. Tell God how you feel. That's why there are several different psalms. Some psalms are psalms of praise where we just focus on how good God is. But some psalms are psalms of lament. Where we tell God how sucky life is. And, and then there are psalms of wisdom where we start to think and, you know, meditate on things that are bigger than just the, the narrow focus of our lives. And, and then there are psalms, it, I lo love these, they're called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory. They're actually cursing psalms. There are psalms that are written by God's people in the ancient world where they just cursed everything in their life. See, I got nothing against cursing. But if you're going to curse, curse with Christian cursing. Amen? And it's in the Bible. Psalm 137 is a great example. Don't turn there now. But it's, there's imprecatory. So we're, I, just, ah, I just need to tell somebody how terrible everything is. Ah, like that's imprecatory psalms. And, and so this psalm is kind of an imprecatory psalm because this guy's just blah, against the wicked. 
But what he's doing is he's working it out with God. You guys got to do this. I'm telling you. You can't be pompous with God. You can't put on a face with God. You can't act like God doesn't want to talk to you because he already knows what's wrong with you. Listen to me like, oh, I sinned so much, I can't possibly talk to him. He already knows. <laughs> He's watching you all the time. And so you can talk to him where you are at with what's going on in your heart, and you can be real with God. So four questions. Self-examination for envy. I'm the doctor, you're the patient. <laughs> Okay, so number one question, why am I watching? This is a great question. Why are you watching them or that? Now, Psalm 73, verse 1, truly God is good to Israel. And this is like, the psalm kind of tricks you because it sounds like he's about to just do praise. Truly God. Good God is good all the time. God is good. The very next verse, like, but wait, wait, but that's for me. I wanted to stop believing. I wanted to give up. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So right there, we're supposed to see something. Envy sneaks up on this guy as he's starting to praise God. And I think we need to talk about who he is now. Asaph was a spiritual leader of Israel in the ancient world. Uh, he was assigned by David to lead God's people in praise every day. That was his job. He worked in the temple. He didn't have to dig holes or plant gardens or harvest wheat because he worked. He was a Levite. So he worked at the table. The people brought food to the temple. He ate the food. And all day long, his job was to just tell people how good God is. Here's what it says in First Corinth, uh, Chronicles 16. It says, David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly as each day required. That was his job. And then not only did Asaph have the job to be the worship leader, like if you went to the church in the ancient world, if you went to the temple on Sunday, you would see Asaph with a mic in his hand and he'd be singing the songs and leading the people in worship. That's who he was. And he was paid to do that every single day. But that was just part of his job. Look what it says in verse 2 of First Chronicles 25. Asaph who prophesied under the direction of the king. This is David's personal prophet. This is like the spiritual advisor to the president. This guy had one of the most important responsibilities in life. He had a job that other people would have envied. He had a spiritual job. He got to love God and get paid for it. Oh, how many of you would love that job? I have that job. I love my job. I get to love God, I get paid for it, but I'm still just like Asaph. And what happened was, I think what happened was that Asaph stopped focusing on what he was called to do and started obsessing over what everybody else's life was doing. So the question is, why are you watching them? And every Christian should ask themselves that when the spirit of envy starts to bubble up inside their hearts. Why are you watching? 
what, 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 what about their lives are so important that you need to focus on them. Some of you need to remember your job description. You've got a calling in Christ Jesus. You are the children of the Most High God. You are followers of Jesus Christ. You are the church. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are sons and daughters, royal priesthood. You are peculiar people. You are strange to this world, but you are known to your Father in heaven, and someday he's coming back for you. Isn't that good? Why are you obsessed then about what's going on with other people? Maybe you have despised your calling a little bit. Maybe that's where some of you are. You have forgotten what a privilege it is to be chosen by God. Because you look at the world and you get caught up in all of its nonsense. 1 Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Oh, maybe that's part of it. We're just rejected. And I don't like feeling strange to the world. And I don't like feeling like an outsider. Rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That's who I am. That's who you are. In verse two, he says, in verse nine, he says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That you, that you, job description. Here it is. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light." I don't know if I'm talking to anybody today that forgot what God has called you to do. God has called you to worship Jesus. God has called you to follow Jesus. God has called you to make Jesus known in this earth. God has not called you to follow the dictates of this world. He's not called you to be a Republican or a liberal or a Democrat or a conservative. God has not called you just to do your job. God has not called you just to raise those families. God has not called you just to feed those kids. God has called you to show the world that there's no one like Jesus Christ. That's your job description. That's who you are. And that's the most important thing you can do on this earth. Why? Because this earth is coming to an end. And only those with faith in Jesus Christ are getting to the next one. We got a job to do. That's why we want you to be involved at Waters Church. That's why I want you to go to our Connect meeting after services today. Because some of you are just jacked up in your hearts because the only person you focus on is the people who have it better than you. And you got to get out of that. That's what the devil's been doing since the Garden of Eden. God's holding out on you. I'm always amazed at how little it takes for some people to leave the church. How little. And I think that the devil, if we go to his, if we go to his office, if we go to his office in Washington, D.C., because we know that's where he lives. <laughs> this summer home. <laughs> Winter in the Middle East, summer in Washington. That's what he does. We go to his office. He's got a trophy collection. He's got names of former people in the church, people formerly in the church. He goes and he takes his trophy down. He says, this is Maria. I got her out of the church. All I had to do was convince her that God would never give her a Christian husband. That's all I had to do. Yeah, yeah, that's Maria, yeah. Oh, this is John. Let me tell you about John. 
All he had to do was keep giving his brother raises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His brother kept earning more and more money. Every time he got a little raise, he, I would just make sure that his boss gave him a bigger raise. And, and he just left the church because he said that God kept holding out on him. Where does he get this idea? Where does this mantra come from? The Garden of Eden. Did God say, you can't eat all that? You know what God's doing? He's holding out on you. He knows that the moment that you eat it, you're going to be just like him. Isn't he a terrible God? And rather than focus on planting and harvesting and eating all the good things that God had planted for them already in the Garden of Eden, they focused on the one thing that God said no to. And some of you got to stop looking at everybody else's life. You got to stop looking. Why are you watching pagans being pagans? Why are you watching people who are manipulating the system or passing laws in their advantage or getting rich through extortion or whatever else they're doing? Why are you worried about them? There's coming a day when the God of the universe will balance the scales of justice and every right will be, every wrong will be made right and every person who has put their faith in Christ will be crowned by Jesus Christ as kings of the universe and queens of the universe. That's your job description. That's why you come to church, to make sure you keep that job working up in your life. Number two question, what am I really seeing? <clears throat> when you look at somebody else, always remember that you're looking at a carefully crafted image of them. Filtered and photoshopped to perfection. So as <laughs> a... Beyonce made news this week because she released her newest album. This is the game of pop culture today. Show as much nakedness as possible so that you'll listen to my music. So she's posing, I guess, on this crystal horse naked. Like, when, when did we forget that music was just supposed to be music? <laughs> like, inspire us with lyrics and tune, not your nipple. Like, seriously. Uh, <laughs> what has happened to us? Carefully crafted images to take our attention off of God's goodness. That's, that's what it is. And, and, and so when we look at people, we've got to remember that we're seeing carefully crafted photoshopped images. And this is what Asaph didn't realize. He says, they have, look at all the absolutes that he lists in verses four to seven. They have no pains until that. That's not true. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Fat in the ancient world was like thin in the modern world. Fat was a symbol of prosperity. They're not in trouble. They're not stricken. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stroll out through fatness. Their hearts overflow. He's just talking about all the things that they don't experience. That's not true. One of the best books I ever read was by Dr. Drew Pinsky. He's a celebrity therapist. He's a therapist to the stars. And in the book, he talks about there's a guy that everybody on earth knows. And this guy comes and visits him for therapy every single week. Everyone would know. He said, I can't tell you his name because it would break client you know, privileges. And he, he says, what he says to me every week is, I am the world's biggest pile of crap that everybody is in love with. They, they don't have no pains. They put on a performance. And you've got to realize that in your life, you're seeing somebody else's outward. 
And this is what Asaph struggled with. Because look what he says in verse 13. He says, all in vain I've kept my heart clean. All in vain. It's not worth doing this stuff. It's not worth being God's child. All the day long I'm stricken and I'm rebuked every morning. In other words, I feel the, the issues of my own life inside. Here's a secret. Telltale sign of envy. When you compare someone's outward presentation to your inward consternation. You know you. You don't know them. You don't know what it took for them to get all those pictures right, to put all that performance together. And you don't know what they're going home to that night. You don't know what they're dealing with. This is why you got to have some friends that you can really talk to who are Christians who go through stuff like you. One of the best things that I ever experienced was when I confessed my sins to another pastor, and he told me, yes, I, just, I struggle with the same stuff. My wife and I go through the same stuff. Oh, it was life-giving. It was life-giving to know that the presentation of his outward appearance was, was just that, just an outward appearance. But inwardly, he was struggling just like I am. And so are you and so am I. So, so we've got to stop comparing our out, their outward to our inward. And whatever we're seeing on the outward anyway, did you know it fades? It fades. There's going to come a time when Beyonce putting herself naked on an album cover will be a bad idea. There's coming a time when the person that you are comparing your house to or your looks to, you'll be like, oh, <laughs> look at that. Went downward for them. You don't want to laugh, but it's going to happen. I mean, anybody ever look up an old flame on Facebook? The one that got away? The one that you begged God for? The one that you prayed for, pined over for years? Mark Zuckerberg comes along and says, now you can look them up. And you're like, okay, let me look them up. Whoa. God is good. Dodged a bullet there, praise Jesus. Isaiah 47, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows at it, the people are grass. That's what we are. We're grass. We're all getting uglier. Just going to take some time. A little longer for others. Quick for some. You're getting uglier. And so are they. You're like, yeah, but I wish you would go faster for them. <laughs> Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And then, so, and then just skip down to verse 30 of that same chapter. Even youths faint and, do, and get weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your life rooted in him, and he will prosper you and beautify you. You see, I say the grass withers, the flower fades. People generally get uglier, but the people that I know that love God and love his house, they get better. They do. Every time Pastor Geyser shows up in this church and preaches, people tell me, what is he, 55 years old? He's 75. They're all like, what? 76, I think he just turned 76. He's old. <laughs> and he's like aging in reverse. Every time he shows up, he's got a new tattoo. 
I feel bad because it means he's not going to heaven, but you know, whatever. <laughs> getting younger, getting stronger. You know, the scripture says in Psalm 92, 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree in the cedar of Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the course of God. They still bear fruit when? In old age. Yes. Hallelujah. I got my best years ahead of me. Yes, Jesus. But notice the qualifier, planted in the house of the Lord. If you want to wither up, just replant yourself out of God's house. How many people I see, God comes and fixes you up, and then you say, okay, I'll take it from here. And you go and you leave the church. And then before you know it, your husband's playing games online. Before you know it. You're all worked up with envy and anxiety and depression. And I watch and I see you guys come back on Sunday morning once eventually. You're like, yeah, it sucked. Yes, when you disconnect from the planting of God, you uproot your source for life. You do. You got to stay planted. That's what Pastor Geyser's done. He has stayed planted. One church for 30 some odd years. That's what I've done. That's what Shane and Marion have done. One church for 30 some odd years. That's what my parents have done. My parents are in their 80s. And they travel all over the place. And they have a wonderful time. And they are enjoying life to the fullest. You know what they've done? Two things they've done their entire life. They've been at church every single Sunday. And they have tithed and given their income to God's house. And I've watched. I have had a front row seat to watch their life get better with age. Some of you got to get this for your own good. Scripture says in Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength. Their hearts are set on Zion, God's house. And they go from strength to strength. They go from strength, where? To strength. Write this down so you, I know you're getting it. Wickedness withers me. Righteousness renews me. If you want a happy and blessed life, do what God wants you to do. Ignore the noise of the pagans who seem to be getting away with it. They're not, first of all, you're not really seeing, you're seeing carefully crafted, photoshopped, filtered images. And number two, the long, longitudinal view of life has got to get into your heart to help you understand that, that, that that's just a facade that fades. Number three, am I disconnected from the fellowship? So if you got envy worked up in your life, I think that sometimes it's because you're just not connected to God's people. And I've already talked about this ad nauseum, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But verse 15, he said, if I had said this, if I had said that I would speak like this, um, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So what right there is he saying is, if I had taken this to people before I had taken it to God, I would have caused some people to fail in faith. That's what he's saying. This is why it's so important that you have to take it to God first. You take it to people second. God first, people second. So he says, I first realized if I, if I started to share this, it wouldn't have been good for anybody. But when I thought about how to understand it, it seemed a worrisome task. I was, I was just overwhelmed by all of this. And then he says, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Oh, there it is. Until I what? 
It's on the screen. Until I what? Went into the... You know where you're sitting right now at all of our locations? You're sitting in the sanctuary. I, I love the fact that he doesn't say, well, until I prayed about it. Well, until I turned on a podcast. Well, until I turned on some music in my car on the way to work. No. He got into the house of God. He got into God's people's presence. You understand there's something different that happens when we're in God's people's presence? We always talk about the presence of God, but there's something special about the presence of God's people. There's something special about being here with you today. I get excited to be here. Anybody with me on that? I get excited to be here in the God's presence, God's people with you. This is why sometimes I hate vacation. I hate vacation sometimes. I dread it. I'm like, oh, goodness. I'm going to have to be with my whole family. 24 hours a day. And, you know, we went away. We went to Tennessee. We went to the Smoky Mountains. It was great. It was fantastic. We hiked. We went to Dollywood. We uh, had some cinnamon bread. Bless God for cinnamon bread. But, you know, we're family. And yeah, I only share this because I know you feel the same thing. You know, it's great to see them in the evenings, but all day. All day, really? Like, we're going to do everything together? Like, really? And Cheryl and I fought. Like, we got into a big fight on the way home. We're just, like, done with, we were done with vacation. We were done with the marriage. We were done with everything. <laughs> Mostly because Cheryl is very hard to live with. <laughs> Things I can say when she's not present. Amen. <laughs> Mostly because I'm very hard to live with. That's really the reality. Mostly because I'm a dink. That's why. <laughs> I'm very uncaring, not empathetic. She's like, slow down. I'm like, mm. say it again. Say slow down again. I'm going to go faster. Ah. By the time I got home, I had sinned so much in my heart. It was Saturday night. I was like, oh, I think I'll skip church tomorrow. That's what I said. I'll skip church tomorrow. I don't think God wants to see me. And so I kind of slept in. And like five minutes before service, the time that I had to leave to get to service, the Lord just kind of said, just go, you dummy. Just go. And so I did. I got my pants on and I went. And I went to church. And a shirt. And I went to church. And something broke in my spirit. We had communion last week. It just broke to take communion, to celebrate with God's people. It changed me. But it only got me 50% of the way there. It did. It only got me 50% of the way there. The next night was small group, the small group that I'm a part of. And I was wrestling with God all day. I'm like, yeah, I just got back from vacation. I think I'll take off. I'll skip this one. I'll go show up next one. And I forced myself again. Just show up. Show up. Mostly because I was actually supposed to lead the small group. So I had this mob. <laughs> and I show up. And I didn't do any preaching or any talking. And I, you know, not much talking, some talking. But, you know, everybody else was talking and just sharing. And it was just good to hear God's people talk about God. Oh, my friends, some of you are so locked up in the system of this world. You're so, so locked. You feel so isolated. You feel so sickened in your spirit. You feel so isolated. You're suffocating your faith because you're not in the house of God. And you don't force yourself to get into the presence of other people who love Jesus Christ. You gotta force yourself. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4 3, make every effort, effort, somebody say effort, effort, effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace 
it takes effort to stay connected to the, to the church. It takes effort. You're not always going to feel like young Christians who think you've arrived at the gates of heaven give us time. You will find out that we are just as flawed and messed up as you. But, but God will work on you and, and you're excited to be here now, but there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time. It takes about six months. You're going to not want to come. And that's when it counts. That's when it counts right there. Just force yourself to show up. Come angry. We'll smile anyway. <laughs> Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up. Let us not neglect meeting together. This is why I hated when they shut down the churches. You understand the Greek word for church. Does anybody know what the Greek word for church is? Of course you don't because that's what I'm here for. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Ecclesia is not the ancient word for church. They didn't have churches back then. You didn't walk down the streets of Rome and say, oh, there's the first Baptist church. It wasn't existent. We think a church is a building. Ecclesia, the word in Greek means assembly. It means assembly. You can't be an assembly online. You can't be an assembly online. Or on TV. Some of you watch me every week. You're like, Ooh, I like what he says. But you don't do anything I'm telling you to do. You know what I'm talking about? You can't assemble by not assembling. The church is essential. You have to go. You have to get there to experience it. This building is not the church. This is an old jewelry factory. You're the church. I'm in this building all the time alone. It's boring. It's only exciting when you show up and we give God praise and we worship Jesus and we see people come to know him. That's when it gets exciting. Number four, am I fully aware of how faithful God is to me? When that envy spirit comes in, work it out with God. Get into God's people's presence and remind yourself that God never gives up on you. What does he say in verse 21? When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant like a beast. That's how I felt last Saturday. I felt like a beast. But the nevertheless of verse 23. Oh, nevertheless, I am continually with you. And you hold, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me into glory. Notice that it says that you hold me. You hold me. Somebody gotta, somebody's got to tell themselves, God is holding me. God, it's not I'm holding on to God. It's not that. It's God is holding on to me. How many of you have I've been through such hell in your life, and you thought, this is it. This is the end. I'm going to give up. It's over. But God, you just felt the sovereign grace of God's hand reach out and say, not so fast. Yeah. Oh, that's what, that's what the psalmist ends with, is that the Lord is the one who never stops. Now, the commentators say about this psalm, is three phases, and the first phase the pronouns are all third person. They, they, they. They have no pains. They get away with it. They are fat and sleek. They, they, they. The second 
the second stage of the psalm is I. Surely in vain, I have kept myself clean. I, what is the purpose? I, I'm not right. I, I. And then the third, the third movement is you. You, God. This is called getting your pronouns right. My name is Jesus. My name is Tim. And my pronouns are he and his. His. That's getting your pronouns right. You, God, are always with me. So at all of our locations, stand with me. Because I want us to say the last part of the psalm together. We're going to put it on the screen. And I want us to say it together at all of our locations. Because this is the resolve of this psalm. To come out of the envious, soul-sucking experience that is America. Ready? Say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, and I may tell of all your works. Bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. Some of you need to make the Lord your refuge today. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus today. To let go of all the hang-ups of this culture. To come to Jesus and to say yes to him. I want to lead you in a prayer to say yes to Jesus if that's you in this place. And you've maybe never come to Christ or you have walked away from him, it's time to say yes to him. It's time to say yes to him. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. The scripture says that we confess with our mouths and we believe in our heart and we're saved. So I want to give you words to confess at all of our locations with your head bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, would you say this after me? You can say it quietly, but say it from your mouth and from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Receive me back into your family. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. And today, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name.